If you want to participate, contact me at ordinarywomenpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure you have great projects to brag about. You can also follow me and message me on Instagram at ordinarywomenpodcast, on Twitter at ordinarywomenpc, or on Facebook on the page Ordinary Women. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Ordinary Women. I'm welcoming Zoha today. Hi Zoha, how are you? Lucy, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great too. Love the energy already. <laughs> <laughs> really excited to have you here today. Can you start by giving us a quick introduction of yourself, please? Of course. So, everyone, I'm Zoha, Zoha Sidigi. I'm Iranian. And currently, I'm teaching in Bangladesh. So, Bangladesh is the sixth country that I'm currently uh, that I've uh, worked in. So, the previous places that I've worked in: um, Australia, Russia, Indonesia, Iran, Afghanistan, which was a remote job, and Bangladesh. Wow, that is so many countries. That is so interesting, <laughs> and I have so many questions. <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> but before that, can you tell us something unusual about you? I mean, I guess this is already unusual, but I don't know, something <laughs> unusual about you. All right, so I've gone some, uh, on some crazy adventures, like uh, maybe taking the less trodden word, uh, paths and like roads in Robert Frost's words. So I think that is something a little bit crazy, a little bit unusual about me. Definitely, that sounds so cool <laughs> because here obviously we talk a lot about being a woman i like to start by asking was there a moment or an event in your life when you realized that you are a woman sure so i think growing up in iran and actually facing a lot of discrimination and segregation from early on in your life you understand that you're a woman because you are being discriminated in so many ways. And it's a patriarchal country, so everything reminds you that you're a woman from the moment that you can actually uh, understand who you are as a child. Like you understand that, oh, okay, I'm a girl. Uh, these are boys, I'm a girl. So you understand that, all right, so apparently being a girl is a little bit different from being a boy in this society. And apparently as a girl, there are some things that I cannot do or I'm not allowed to do. So actually you realize that from early on in your life. So I would say since I was a child. Wow, that sounds not ideal. Yeah, Have you? so you say you moved like so much. I mean, I guess for teaching you moved around, right? I did and I have. <laughs> yeah so how has that influenced that vision of being a woman for you well um as a woman it means that you want to prove to yourself that you're more than this you are not what your society dictates to you you're not the person who is being discriminated you don't want you're put to die. So you just want to prove to yourself and your society and your community, your family, your education system, that you're a lot more than that, that you're um, qualified, that you have potentials and such potentials cannot be realized in your home country. So you have to leave the country and 
you really have to find who you are and you have to take a lot of chances to prove to yourself and come out of your shell and experience so many things on your own by yourself away from anything that reminds you of your society reminds you of anything that has so long been dictated to you so yeah I think this is where I am now and this is the path that it took so this is how you grow as a woman well, when you are away from the society that is so interesting and so brave and was your family and I don't know support system friends were they supportive of of this of you going and find who you are be who you are Yes, absolutely supportive. Uh, the good thing is that, sure, I do come from a country with a lot of patriarchy. But uh, the good thing is that my family has always been very supportive. And my mom, especially, she has always told me that in order to find out who you are, you have to go out there and experience for yourself. And I remember that there was this particular children's book that she always read to us as children. It's a Persian short story, but it is titled The Little Black Fish. In a nutshell, it's about a little black fish that lives in the sea. And she wants to explore more than the place that she lives in. So she asks her mom, like, what is beyond this place? And her mom is like, I don't know. And then she asks, like, another fish, the turtle, the frog, and other things. And everybody says, oh, there's nothing more than that. The whole world is here. But this little black fish wants to explore a lot more than that. She knows that there's something beyond that. So this is a story that my mom always read to us as children. And she always encouraged us that there's a lot more to the world, to our lives, than what we see here, than what you experience here. So... Uh, if you get a chance to discover what's out there, just go out there and discover for yourself. So yeah, uh, my mom especially has been very supportive. And this is just about my immediate family, like my mom and my sisters. Well, my father passed away when I was uh, 10. So there's not much on that side that I can say. But my family in general, yes, they were very supportive. And my friends as well. They always encouraged me to realize my potentials, to understand who I am. This is what they did as well, to get to know themselves more and break those boundaries, break those limits and break away from all those limitations. That's so cool. That's, your mom sounds amazing and I love that story. That is so cute. I'm always amazed as an adult to see how much you can teach kids through a book. I mean, I guess as a teacher, you must know that a lot better than me. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, we do have a lot of influence with our words, with like all the little things, like even a book, like a children's book really can have a lot of influence on the growth of a child or like on the mindset of the child or like it would shape who they are, like something that you really don't think about too much uh, because like short stories and children's book are everywhere. But like sometimes yeah. you forget that they have like a lot of power in uh, shaping like the mindset of a child. I totally agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love this story you were talking about. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> and did you grow up with any female role model? Female role models? Well, um, 
As I said, like my father passed away when I was 10. So basically I grew up with my mom and two older sisters. So I would say my mom was always my role model in regards to never giving up and always having a goal. And there's this quote that if you're tired, just do it. If you're broken, do it. If you think you can't, go and do it. Do it broken, do it tired. And this is a quote that always lingers in my mind. And when I look at my mom, she is actually the manifestation of such a quote. She has been torn apart. Life has been cruel to her, but she never gave up. She tried very hard. She supported us and she helped us receive proper education and she never lost her patience in any way. She never raised her voice and she always encouraged us. She was always there to support us. She gave us whatever we needed financially, emotionally, anyway, in any way possible. So I would say that one of the biggest role models that I've always had it will always remain my mother, like the first role model that I know of. And in regards to adaptability, having an open mind, traveling, getting to know different people, making new friends, like she has like a really approachable vibe and she makes friends really easily. So this is something that I've learned from her to be adaptable, to have an approachable nature. So, um, yeah, it will always remain my mom. She sounds amazing. Like, the more you talk about her, the more <laughs> amazing she sounds. <laughs> so and do you current? well, I guess still your mom, do you currently have female role models? Sure. I think um, beyond um, home, I would say Oprah Winfrey. It's not like I started watching her shows early on in my life because, well, I didn't know how to speak English, but... Uh, when I started to learn how to speak English and uh, I started studying English, uh, one of the shows that I always watched was Oprah's shows. And she started to be and become my role model because she's a very strong character. She's very inspirational. And the way she connects with people, the way she motivates people, this these qualities have always stayed with me. I'm not saying that I'm that sort of person, but at least like when life gets hard, I would think about her, the fact that she also had a very difficult life and uh, she never stopped inspiring people. She never stopped motivating people. She never stopped being the stronger person. So yes, Oprah Winfrey is like one of my role models, like huge role model who has actually made a lot of impact on my life. This is one of the role models. Another role model would be Malala, especially because I work in the education sector. And the way she supports the education of women, uh, that is something that I've always very much looked up to. And I've tried my best and I've tried to do my part in educating women. That's so cool. And yeah, definitely too. They're inspiring women. They are. They really are. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you. And how did the lack of representation of women in society impact you growing up? Sure. So 
The sad thing about education in Iran is that, especially when it comes to women with children, like mothers, um, they don't get a lot of chances to continue their education. So yes, like girls right now are all uh, receiving good education, but when it comes to mothers, they don't receive that much education or they have to forcefully leave the university or the education that they're receiving most of the time because they have to take care of their families or because they have to raise their children. So um, what I have tried to do is that back home uh, in Iran, when I was teaching at a university, the university that I was working at received a lot of females and most of them were mothers. So I tried my best and I tried to do my part in supporting their education. I tried to uh, create like inclusive classrooms and adapt my methodology to be able to teach mothers, like student mothers. And I do remember that a few of the times, like they would come to me and they would say that, oh, I cannot attend the midterm or final exam because there's no one to take care of my child. And I would say, well, just bring your child. And then they would say like, this is not possible. You don't know my child. I'm like, right, what's the worst that can happen? Like, they're gonna cry. What's the worst that, they ca- that would happen? And then they would say, yes and then the cry would disrupt others so uh, sometimes i would arrange a separate room for them so that they could bring their child to the classroom and then like there and then they could take uh, they could take their exam or like they could if it was like a newborn they would just put the baby on their laps or in the career and they would just take their exam so this is what I tried to do, like the underrepresentation of women in my country or the discrimination against them or like being actually forced out of education made me want to do something for the women who were actually um, not receiving education or like leaving education. And those people who really, really wanted to uh, continue their education, but uh, because of the uh, society, and because of uh, the patriarchy in my country, they couldn't. So uh, this is how I tried to support them. That's amazing. This is so, so amazing. I love that you're doing that. And do you think that other, and did you manage to influence other teachers to do the same or to yeah, help other women? Um, yeah, so uh, back home, like the university that I taught, I shared with my colleagues, like sometimes, uh, especially when it came to bringing children, like they didn't know that they could do that. Like they were like, oh, c- can we do that? Like, is it okay if we do that? I was like, of course, like anything to support the mothers and it's totally fine like nobody would say anything you can just book another room or what would happen if they bring their child and then they would think and they were like oh actually that wouldn't hurt like uh, it's not like anything would happen so yeah uh, so by sharing with others that apparently there's no problem in that and they would start to think that all right i could do that like that would actually ease the pressure off the shoulders of the teachers because they don't have to make another question paper every time that mothers would go to them. So they did like the idea because 
it was something comfortable for them as well. So uh, others started doing that and actually students got more comfortable. They knew that there was a solution. So they would go to the teacher and they were like, is it okay if I bring my child? So they wouldn't be like, oh, I, don't, I can't come to the midterm session or final session. They would be like, is it okay? Would you approve of it? And um, that actually facilitated their education even more. And that started to create the classes more inclusive and create the classes in a way that they were student, uh, they were like mother friendly in a way. That's so cool. I love it. Congrats on doing that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And I'd like to jump on kind of the second part, which I think is really linked with education, uh, but talk about something that you've done or you're doing, a project, life achievement, experience, something that um, you want to share with us. So what do you want to talk about? The project that I'm working on is education related. Currently, I'm teaching in Bangladesh. I'm teaching mm -hmm. refugee girls. So what is happening is that the university that I'm working with they have welcomed refugee girls to the university. So what's happening is that the uh, refugee girls are very young, like they're not even undergraduate level. They are like maybe 14 plus. And in order to create a safe space for them, they have been brought to the university. So um, we have a special program for these girls and we are educating them because these girls have not received like proper education or they've been away from education or they haven't finished their schooling. So what we're trying to do is to run some classes for them, like intensive English, math, IT skills, social studies. We're gonna introduce science from next semester. And we're trying to expose them to new experiences and we're giving them a second chance at education because they were forced out of education. Some of them were actually attending schools, but unfortunately they were forced to leave their own country and now they're refugees in Bangladesh. Yeah, so I'm teaching in this program and I do have really lovely students. I love them so. Uh, the thing is that when it comes to the word refugees, something that I really don't like is when you like Google the word refugees, all the time the first pictures that are shown are like people who are like crying or like they're begging for the food or like they're unhygienic. But the thing is that in reality, these are just ordinary people, but they've been unfortunate and they have a lot of potentials. Like I do have students who are like, who can write really well, although they're still learning English, but they use the words that they know in a really nice way. So sometimes I get goosebumps when I read their writing it's because they're like so good. Or uh, like some of them draw really nicely. Again, like I get goosebumps sometimes when I see their drawings because they come and show me their drawings. And it's like, they're so good the way they draw like vivid pictures or they show emotions through those pictures. They're, like sometimes they're so lifelike. It's like, whoa, I can't believe like you draw, uh, drew this. Like, wow, I wish like more people could see these so that they would change their opinion about refugees. They love dancing, they love singing, they love drama, they love 
going to like the parties that are on campus. They love dancing.、Um, they love socializing. And、uh, sure, they may not know certain social skills because unfortunately they are living. In a camp now, sure, but they're easily teachable. And my girls, they are, they have so much pride. So when you tell them once that、um, maybe you can try doing this this way, maybe you would like to give it a try, and they're like, you just tell them something one time, and they're like, okay, I'll do it one time. You told me one time, I'll do it from the next time. So it's not like you have to repeat something like a million times. So、um, yeah, this is the project that I'm working on teaching refugee girls. That is amazing, and also I love that. I mean, I could hear that before already, but how passionate you sound when you talk about <laughs> it. That is so so cool. So how did you start it? Was it like a program that was already implemented and that you joined, or did you like launch that, or like what happened? All right, so. All right, let me go back a little bit further.、Mm-hmm. And they had brought in the girls, but the program hadn't started yet. So they did have、uh, some plans for it, but they needed like people to actually start making the plan or like implement、um, certain rules or like give it a frame and an outline. So the girls were here when I had just joined, and it was like. Just after pandemic, so they were receiving their vaccines when I had just joined. So I had a little bit of time to start everything while they were receiving their two three doses. So what I did was that I started、uh, with a colleague, not just me.、Uh, with a colleague, we、uh, started creating the curriculum. And we tried to gather some information at the university from the people who knew our audience, and we、uh, went to different people and even their seniors because we did have like some seniors from the camp, and we talked to them like, what are the students like? What would they like to learn? And、um, based on such information, we started creating the curriculum. And when they received their second dose. We met with them like casually, informally. We ran a few sessions. We got to know the students better, and we actually finalized their curriculum. And、um, so yeah, so when I first joined, I actually helped to co-establish this program. That's so cool, and that's so cool also to go to them and like ask. Yeah, it was actually quite exciting. Like I do remember the first time that I met them. So it was in a hall, and like I actually went out of the blue. Like I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't prepared anything, and they told me, "Oh, the students are ready. Would you like to meet them?" I'm like, "I do. I would love to meet them, but I don't know what to say." So I did go to the hall. Everybody was sitting, and everybody was like. Uh, ready to see who their teacher was. So when I entered, like I saw them, like seeing my students, they were seeing their teacher. So it was like a lot of excitement going on, and I wanted to understand their community better. So I asked them questions about,、uh, do you already know each other? Like, have you made friends? So I just needed to understand how、uh, well they knew each other. 
And like I started asking them like a couple of questions. We played a few games off the top of my mind. And then like we tried to understand each other a little bit better. So I asked them like some random questions like what do you like about yourself? So I wanted to check if they are already confident or like uh, I wanted to understand how close they are with each other. So I was like, okay, so tell something nice about your friend. And then like I tried to understand their community a little bit better. And I asked them like, what do you like to learn in the classes? What do you expect from me? Is there something you would like me to teach you? And they were like, yeah, we want to speak English. We want to learn how to talk. I was like, sure, we're going to work on grammar, vocabulary. These are the things that are going to help you talk and we're going to play games. And they were like, so yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so everybody was like so excited that time. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it, I think it's one of the most memorable uh, times from the beginning uh, when I came here uh, so far, the first time that I met my students. <laughs> That's amazing. And yeah, but like everyone must have been, so excited so because i know that obviously different countries teach in different ways and like cultural differences are there how did you adapt to that how did you i and by you i mean you zohab also your students because i guess like both had to adapt to each other how did that go uh, actually that's very true um adapting the materials that's actually a big thing and especially when it comes to certain communities with a certain religious belief or like a shared mm. belief or uh, shared traditions, shared, let's see, uh, everything among them is shared uh, because like they come from the same community. So it's very important to adapt the materials. I actually took it one step at a time, so I didn't plan too many things. And they're Muslims and I come from a Muslim country, so I did know what the red lines were so what not to talk about and i was like very discreet about certain topics and i considered their age they were like young adults so anything like too childish or something for adults was not suitable for them something like more teenager friendly this is another thing that i understood also like i started getting to know them like what sort of music they listen to or what they do in their free time or like about their friends, like what they do when uh, they want to spend time with each other or like if they use the library, what library resources they've read. So I tried to incorporate all of those into the lesson and I tried to take notes like this student has this, these qualities. So next time when we want to talk about, I don't know, sports, maybe I can use uh, her in the sentence or in the examples. So I actually started like observing the students and tried to take notes of their culture, behavior, traditions, and such things. And I did my own research about their community, about their beliefs and other things. On top of all of these things, I tried to create a trauma-sensitive class. So I tried to include and actually exclude uh, anything that would trigger their trauma. So anything related to war, anything related to, I don't know, murder or like killing or blood or like scary movies or such anything that would bring back memories of their trauma i tried to exclude those so these are different ways that i try to adapt my materials to their needs 
that's amazing that must have been so much work that's <laughs> a lot of work yeah and at the same time so important that is that is so amazing um so how long has that been going for um uh, it's been more than a year to be exact a year and three months that's so cool and how is it going now do you still it's love it yeah <laughs> it's going really well uh, every semester i've had like a different group of students right now i think we have 145 students and in each class like you get maybe 12 to 15 students so I think so far we've had like four semesters so I've had like four different groups of students uh, certain things are shared among them so right now at this point I can predict I can like make plans like beforehand, like I can plan ahead. It's not like the first semester that I couldn't plan ahead because like I didn't expect or like I was trying to get to know them. But right now I can eat, <laughs> I can understand them a lot better. I know what sounds they cannot pronounce. So when I hear them talk, I can immediately replace those sounds with the correct sound. So uh, it's very much easier for me to understand them. Uh, I have connected with them uh, well and another thing is that like at first when I started they didn't trust me and that's the thing when you teach like students who have been traumatized they wouldn't trust anyone easily so it took me a lot of time uh, I think more than half of the semester to gain their trust it's not like they opened up to me or anything like on the spot no I earned the trust I earned uh, the opening ups and we actually took the path step by step along each other like I took a step they took a step with me again I took a step they took a step with me so like I earned their trust like previously when I worked elsewhere or like I was working in other places like it didn't come so hard to me but when it comes to traumatized students, like you really have to earn their trust. So right now they know me and they know that I genuinely care about them. So I don't have to try so hard. So it's much easier now, but in regards to always adapting materials or like making sure that you're getting to know your group of students because they might be different from the group of students that you had last semester, that still has like needs a lot of work. but. In general, it's going much, much smoother. Oh, I'm glad to hear that it's going, yeah, smoother. And so is that, like, I would imagine that's something that you would have to, like, do over and over every time someone arrives? Or, like, is there some sort of group trust? It's a group trust. Uh, so, mm. uh, like, if you earn the trust of one group, chances are that the next group that you get, they're going to trust you too. Because they're all roommates, like and they live right. on campus so everyone like shares a room with each other or like everyone knows everyone else they talk to each other about their classes about their teachers so like if one group of students like has a good impression of you chances are that the next group that you get goes smoothly like the classes would go smoothly so yes i would say it's like something that is communal you don't have to work too hard anymore you still have to work hard because it's a new group of students and we cannot forget that they've been traumatized but like it's not like too much work anymore it's still like you do your best and you have their trust oh that's so cool 
but I'm kind of thinking, for instance, it's say that, for instance, when someone has cancer, usually you have the person who has cancer who needs a lot of support. And then the support of that person needs, it's like a second layer of support needed because of all the support that's needed, basically. Is that the case for you too? Like being with people who have been traumatized, and I'm sure that emotionally being with these people must be hard in like the state of our world, etc. Do you also manage to find support for yourself? And that's actually a very good question. If I'm not mistaken, it's called secondhand trauma. Um, or something okay. like that. So there's an mm-hmm. uh, actually a term for it that those who are working with people with trauma, they are exposed to it. So if I'm not mistaken, it's called like secondhand trauma. So uh, yes, like I've actually told the new teachers to make sure to take mental breaks for yourself. So what I do, like when I come home, like uh, I try to not work anymore or like not bring work home i'm not gonna say that it's perfect it it does happen but like i try to like during the weekend at least one day i try to just relax like not to think about anything like sleep as much as i want or like do anything that would relax me watch a movie or like watch a stand-up comedy or like do an exercise or like listen to the music that i like like something very simple yet very effective and like that would be my mental break because sometimes it does get too hard and sometimes students like when they open up they would talk about their lives or like in their writings like when you want to like grade their writings like you read about things that put you in a very tough spot and like they're sharing their trauma with you so if you're not mentally prepared it's gonna drain you out so far like i know the things that happen to them like there are certain things which are shared so it's not the initial shock anymore it still makes me uneasy and uncomfortable but it's not the initial shock that i uh, experienced in the first semester uh, this is one technique that i use in the first semester there were not those many teachers there were like three english teachers and we joined almost at the same time. So we talked to each other a lot. And every week for like an hour or two, we just talked and without any judgment, like we just shared what we had experienced in the classes and like anything that we learned about their community or about their trauma. And we kind of like vented and we were like close and we talked and we didn't judge each other. So that was a really good way to survive through the first, which was the most difficult semester. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And especially because like you were saying before, how you adapted their trauma, but I guess you can't also share your own, like obviously you're also a human being with her whole life. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. but that's very good that you have, yeah, tools and, and some good support. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask if you've faced any challenges, but I guess that would have been like, like we've talked a bit about, about a few of them already, mm-hmm. but is there anything else that like was really challenging that you would, wouldn't have expected? The biggest challenge was actually not knowing what we were going to experience. Like 
The first time that I got here, like I thought that the program had a shape, but then we understood that no, we are the ones who have to give it a shape. So I was like, all right, so what's gonna happen? Like there were a lot of questions without answers. And then like we had to come up with the answers or like we had to just go down the path and like see what's in there. So this was like a really big challenge and lack of sources, lack of resources, especially when it comes to teaching refugees. Like it's not something that a lot of people have done. And uh, there's like a handful of people and people usually don't do it for too long because it's emotionally draining. Like if you do it for too long. So there are not those many resources. Like initially when I joined, I was trying to find good resources or even like good books targeted at refugees for them to learn English. I couldn't find anything at all. So I just had to adapt my materials like uh, along the way. So this was like a really huge challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. How do you do when you recommend resources? Do you have to like be sure that there is nothing or do you have to like proofread before? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There should be like proofreading before and like make sure to exclude whatever, as I said, like would uh, trigger their trauma or like whatever mm. is not socially acceptable for them or like mm. whatever they would not understand, whatever is against their religion. Uh, but the thing is that the students have opened up, so they're more open minded now. So if we talk about dating, going on a date, they wouldn't mind talking about it at all. And they would like want to know about it, like they're curious about it. So it's It's not as bad as uh, I first thought. I thought that at first, like I have to exclude everything. Like if there's mm -hmm. the word wine mentioned in a passage, like I was like, okay, what am I gonna do about it? Like, what are they gonna? How are they gonna react? But actually, they're they're not like that. Like they're like, okay, wine, okay, whatever. So it's fine. Like fine. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that sensitive. But like yes, I always have to proofread, and sometimes like you would be surprised. They would say that, oh, in our community, it's not like that. And they would start sharing about something else that they experienced. And that would be like a whole discussion, which is actually really good. Like they start talking about themselves and they compare cultures. So I have gotten to know them much better. So certain things actually initiate like conversations and discussions, which is not bad, actually. Yeah. And you must learn so much about so many yeah. cultures. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's so cool. And was there anything that was easier than you thought would have been? Well, I might have mentioned it uh, earlier, but the fact that sometimes I don't have to repeat something twice, and I'm not talking about the materials, mostly like social behaviors. For example, the first time that they sat for an exam, they didn't know how to sit for an exam because like they had never had like any formal in-class exams. But like, I was like, okay, so you can sit in rows or like there should be a space in between the rows or like you have a time. So try to manage your time. Like within one hour, you have to give me your papers. And that was it. I thought that it would need a lot of time for me to help them understand like how certain things work around the classroom. But actually like you would say it once and they're like, oh, okay, I should do it like that. Sure, I'll do it like that. And they have a lot of pride, as I said earlier, like they don't want their pride to be hurt by you mentioning something twice. 
So they're like, I have pride, I respect my pride. If you tell me something once, sure, I'll do it the way that you have asked me. Well, that's, yeah, so many things like just sitting for an exam that obviously we had to learn at some point, but I don't even remember how, like, it's so funny. I would have never remembered it, but now that you say it, yeah. And now that you say it, it's like, yeah, obviously that's not a natural thing to do. That's so interesting. And was there any any figure, anyone who helped you had an impact on it? It's actually a male figure back home in Iran. The name with the Persian pronunciation is Muhammad Bahman Begi. So if I want to say it in the English pronunciation is Muhammad Bahman Begi. So uh, this person was a nomad in Iran and I come from Shiraz. So these nomads live around Shiraz and Shiraz is towards the south of Iran. So they live around Shiraz and uh, they do like change places depending on the season. So um, Muhammad Bahman Begi is the person who educated nomads. So at the time, um, nomads didn't have like any schools and they were not receiving proper education, but he is the one who started educating them. And at the time, they were very superstitious and they didn't believe in education. And oh my God, about uh, educating women, that was like a big no-no. They were like, no, girls should not be educated. Like, we don't want our girls to be educated. They should get married. They should take care of the household. They should take care of, like, I don't know, like, um, milking the cows. I don't know, cooking food, bringing up children. It's a big no-no. And he worked so hard to change their mindset. And he actually built a school in my city, Shiraz. And that was just for nomads so that when they're around the city, they could send their children there. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a boarding school, but I'm still, I'm not pretty sure about it. But anyway, like it was like an easy access for nomads and they started like receiving education. And here's the most beautiful part. These nomads right now, they're the best doctors in my country, in my city. And a lot of them have traveled abroad, studied abroad, and they're like, really good educated people whatever profession they're working in a majority of them are doctors so whatever profession they're working in they are very successful people so he passed away i think around uh, maybe 12 13 years ago and like when i heard his past i was like so devastated i was like no my role model he passed away I have a really big poster of him back home in my room. He has written on it that education is the right of everyone and it's the right of nomads as well. So he has been a very big inspirational figure when it comes to educating people, when it comes to educating marginalized people or underprivileged people or those people who are away from education, let it be because they're nomads and they don't have access to education, let it be student mothers, let it be refugees. So I very much respect and adore him. 
Yeah, he sounds amazing. I had never heard of it, but of him, but I will definitely look into his story. <laughs> that he sounds amazing, and I bet you were so happy to meet him and make him sign um, your poster. I would have loved to, but unfortunately, he passed away like 10, 12 years ago. Oh, but yeah, he he sounds yeah like an amazing inspiration. Yeah, that's true. And why are you proud of doing what you do? <laughs> well, um, I'm happy. I'm happy that I am making even a small change in the life of students. Like they're they're not very expressive, but when it comes to the end of the semester, they start sharing what they have learned. And I don't know, they would give you like drawings or a letter or something in which they have expressed how they feel about you and how they felt about the class. So uh, seeing that I have been able to make even a little change in their lives and help them to dream again, because when it comes to refugees for a long time, they forgot that they could dream again. They forgot that they could have goals and they were deprived of the opportunity to be free in their own mind, in their own imagination that, all right, I can have a future. I apparently I can do something. I can be someone that I have all that, that I have wanted so I can dream again. I can do something for my community. So Being able to help them remember or get reminded that they can dream again, that they can change something in their lives and in their communities, that is something that I'm very happy about. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, definitely an amazing reason to be proud of <laughs> yourself. That's, yeah, I'm sure you make an amazing impact. Very sweet. Yeah, I think we're going to conclude on that. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you so, Thank so much. You. It was so interesting and inspiring and i love hearing the passion in your voice um, when you talk <laughs> thank about you it. so much lucy thank you so much for such a beautiful idea about ordinary women and i wish you all the best and i look forward to listening to others podcasts and see uh, what changes they're making and what projects and i'm pretty sure that you yourself are Uh, an inspiring person who has um, thought of such a great idea and I wish you all the best oh thank you so so much <laughs> um, and there is um, a little tradition in this podcast that the guest always concluded so the, the last word or sentence is yours <laughs> uh, I would say don't let the society dictate who you are Go out there, experience for yourself, and be the person that you are, not the person that the society tells you. You are different from what the society dictates to you. Find the potentials and find out who you are, because whoever you are, you have something big and you can do something to make a difference in this world.